Happy spooky season! And since I missed the majority of the end of October due to family health issues, I'm dragging Halloween out until I feel like my heart's content with what I missed. So, we got another listener scare story today. And this one was written by yours truly. So won't you join me for a Halloween special episode number two in November, of course, because why the hell not? Let's do it. Ava and Mike married when Ava was just 16 years old, and Ava was my best friend in the world. But her home life was both physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting. And Mike was like the perfect excuse for her to get away from her home life. Ava used to go on and on and on about how Mike made her feel like the most beautiful woman in the world, and it really didn't matter how bad she thought she looked. He made her feel special. And I love that about Mike. Mike seemed like her knight in shining armor that had just swooped in and saved her from her life of physical abuse by her really skeevy stepdad. And she was the happiest I'd ever seen her. Ava and I met when we were in just the second grade, and we were both a little weird. We were into things that other seven- and eight-year-olds just weren't very interested in. We read every Ghostbumps book and watched every episode of Unsolved Mysteries that ever aired. We were a little morbid and a whole lot of crime junkie before either one of those were really popular true crime podcasts. And yes, even at such an early age, Ava didn't have much parental supervision, so I would tell my mom that I was staying at Ava's so that she wouldn't find out what we were watching or reading. Because unlike Ava's parents, my mom was entirely too overprotective. But we could have gotten away with murder at Ava's house. And as we got older, our love of all things murder, morbid, and spooky grew into a pretty unhealthy obsession of true crime blogs, podcasts, shows, and even magazine subscriptions. After Mike and Ava's wedding, they moved into the same neighborhood where I lived with my parents. And as luck would have it, when I finally went to college and moved out of my parents' house, Mike got a job promotion and they ended up moving about six miles away from where my new college campus was going to be at. Somehow we had both moved out of state into a whole other state, right up the road from each other, without any planning on our part. I don't know, I like to think that God knew that we needed each other, so he kept us together, despite how different our lives were. But being that Ava had been a wife for about three years now, and I was just getting the hang of college life and living on my own, she wasn't really able to attend many campus parties or other related activities that I would have normally attended. But regardless, like always... We remained thick as thieves throughout my early college experience. And she would sometimes sneak away from being more grown than she should have been at her age 
to act like a typical teenage student with me on campus. And if we didn't go to the parties on campus, then you could probably find us at Shelby's riding horseback through the valleys. But as the months went on, I started seeing less and less of Ava. We would still call and text, but she always seemed to be busy when I wanted to stop by her apartment, or she would say she wasn't home, just not knowing that I was already in the parking lot parked right beside of her little Kia. And Ava had never lied to me before, but she wouldn't talk to me about how married life was. It was almost like marriage talk was completely off the table altogether. But she had been my best friend for long enough for me to know that sometimes she just liked her space. Sometimes she liked being alone. She curled up in a chair with a good whodunit book, so I'd drive away and never bring up the fact that I knew that she was home or that I knew that she was lying to me about whether she had been busy or not. And it was about eight months ago that I ran into Ava by chance at the supermarket that's close by where we both live. She acted like she didn't even see me, even though we had very clearly made eye contact with one another. And she had been wearing these, I don't know, almost comical-looking sunglasses. They just looked ridiculous. They took up her entire face. I waved, and I yelled her name across the room, and... She just turned her back to me. So I strutted my grocery cart right over to the apples where she was standing. And I'm just thinking, this bitch is not about to act like she doesn't know me just because we're in public. I kind of just laughed to myself. But as I got closer to her, I could feel Ava almost shrinking in front of my eyes. She looked small. She looked broken. She looked tired. But more than anything else, she looked defeated. I hugged her around her neck and asked her why I hadn't seen her in the past few weeks and went on to ask why she had been giving me such short answers when I would text her and why she almost never answered the phone when I called anymore. We used to stay on the phone for hours, talking about everything and absolutely nothing all at the same time. And we'd even fallen asleep with the phone still laying beside both of our heads on speakerphone before. But things had just been different this past year. I just didn't know why. I had always kind of chalked it up to Ava being married and me just not understanding what it took to make a marriage work. But I had never been suspicious of anything else before. As Ava explained, she'd been busy trying new recipes and trying to keep up with Mike's work schedule. I noticed that her eyes were black, even around those abnormally large sunglasses she was wearing inside of the grocery store, I just want to add. I could still see it. I didn't say a word, though. I just pulled the sunglasses right off her face. Ava flinched as I brought my hand closer to her face to take the sunglasses off, and when I looked up and into her eyes, I'd never seen so many shades of black, blue, purple, and yellow before on a person's body in my life. So much so that even without my medical degree being fully in fact, I could clearly tell that all of these bruises were in different stages of healing, and my heart just broke. I gasped pretty loudly, and I asked what the hell had happened to her. I could hear my voice getting louder with every word, 
and it wasn't intentional, but rather almost uncontrollable. I was physically unable to keep my voice at a proper indoor volume like we were taught in grade school. Ava grabbed the sunglasses out of my hand and shoved them back onto her face, faster than I'd ever seen her move before. She shushed me, and that's when I noticed the way that she was dressed. It was a scorching 97 degrees outside, and with the humidity, it felt like 150 degrees. Yet, she was dressed in long sweatpants and a shirt that was so big on her that it even covered her hands entirely when her arms hang down by her side. I could feel my blood boiling, and Ava was just staring at her feet. I asked Ava if Mike had done this to her, if he was the one responsible for the shape that her face was in, and I immediately told her I was calling the police right then and there, and the only thing that she said was in a low, almost begging plea when she told me. He didn't mean to, and he promised that it would never happen again. And I could feel my face growing hotter and more red with more fear than anger. I could feel her demeanor change. And her body got stiff. And she let out the fakest, Hey, babe, look who I ran into. That I've ever heard. As her eyes looked up and set a gaze behind me. I turned around to look to see whoever she was talking to. And as my body swung around, I could see Mike standing right behind me almost too close behind me. As Mike let out a low, ha-ha, as he looked at me and said, hey, Kels, long time no see, how you been? I turned back to look at Ava, and she looked absolutely mortified. Mike walked around me and made his way behind Ava as he wrapped one of his arms around the bottom part of her waist and said, I told her that you two need to get together soon. Maybe y'all can plan something this month. I just nodded my head in agreement because at this point, I had fully registered why I hadn't actually laid eyes on my bubbly, life-loving best friend in weeks and weeks and weeks now. Mike nodded his head towards the checkout line, and as his eyes met mine, he said, Well, we better get going. We'll catch up with you later, okay? And as I went to put my arms around Ava's neck for a goodbye hug, and I tightened my grip on her, I felt her body wince and tighten in pain. She pulled away from me. And she just whispered, Love you, Kelts. We need to get to work on a plan C soon, okay? And even with all of the shock that I was in, I knew exactly what she was saying to me. It was something that we used to joke about when we were really young, about getting her away from her stepdad and out of his house of hell. But we hadn't spoken in plan C in so long that I kind of wondered if Ava was maybe a little confused by her injuries and bruises. I just nodded in agreement, and I didn't say anything else besides, love you too, Ava, before I walked away. I could feel my heart pounding in my ears, and I could feel the lump in the bottom of my throat starting to form before the tears just started flowing down my face. This was an involuntary kind of cry. I couldn't control it. My eyes just flooded my cheeks, and my body didn't have a say-so in the matter. But now I knew why Ava hadn't wanted to hang out. She hadn't wanted to go out or even have me over to her place for long enough to have a drink lately. And it was because her entire body was covered in bruises. We had always been the kind of friends that, no matter where we lived or how often we moved, I felt completely at home in her house, and she felt completely comfortable in mine. I mean, aside from her stepdad being a creep. 
before this, we wouldn't ask one another if we wanted something to drink or something to eat because we knew if we wanted it, we'd just go into the other one's house or kitchen and get what we wanted. We didn't have that kind of uptight friendship that you see between friends in movies and on reality shows. We ate what we wanted, even if it was something that the other had planned to eat for leftovers tomorrow. We didn't worry about it. We just took what we wanted, used whatever lotions, sprays, and chapstick that were laying around, and we did this without going into each other's personal belongings. We were just extremely comfortable with one another. We always had been. We were more like sisters, really. Even though neither one of us had siblings that we were close with, we had always been close with each other. But not lately. And now it just made so much more sense. She didn't want me there because she didn't want to have to explain to me what kind of hell she was living through again. Except this time with Mike. And I could feel my hatred for Mike growing inside the pit of my stomach. And even though I now knew that Ava was in a toxic, abusive marriage, my brain almost kind of tried to shake the idea. Like, maybe it was a one-time thing. Maybe he was the sweetest guy I'd ever met, like I'd thought this entire time. Or maybe he wasn't. I had just seen real fear in Ava's eyes. And I hadn't seen that since she'd moved out from her mom's house with her stepdad. That night, I just laid awake in bed, thinking of any way that I could help Ava. And as much as I wanted to be in denial, I mean, I really couldn't. My heart knew that Ava was hurting, and I knew that she was in danger. I just didn't know how to help. Unless... Unless we executed Plan C. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. But Plan C had always seemed more like a joke than an actual plan before. But maybe Ava was serious. The only logical thing that I could think to do was to call the police and report what I now suspected to be abuse. But Mike was the chief of police. And I wasn't sure how that would work or even if it would work at all. But I had to try. I'd never forgive myself if I didn't at least try. I loved Ava enough to want to see her alive, and something deep down in a part of my gut that I usually ignored was screaming at me to help Ava, however I could. I picked up my phone, and I reported the suspected abuse. I was just trying to help. I had read a lot of blogs about women in abusive situations and how hard it could be for them to escape. And if I didn't try to help Ava, I would never forgive myself for it. And besides, who else was going to help her? The so-called family she had that let her stepdad abuse her sexually for years and years and knew about it, but didn't do a single thing to stop it? Yeah, I doubt they'd be much help, too. She only had me. I had always been her only family. 
we had always been each other's chosen family. But I'd never be able to forgive myself for what happened the next morning either. My phone rang at 6.04 a.m., and when I looked at the caller ID, it was a listed number for our local hospital. And my first thought wasn't even Ava, if I'm being honest. My first thought was maybe an elderly family member had taken a nasty fall out of the tub, or maybe somebody had gotten into a car accident. But I had no way of knowing that this call about Ava was my fault. The police had went to take a statement from her the night before, after I called our local non-emergency line, and Ava told them everything. She told them about all of the times that Mike had broken her bones, or the times that he would go into a fit of rage and just hit her repeatedly. Ava poured her heart out to these officers, and they just left Mike there with her. Because they were all Mike's co-workers, his drinking buddies, or his poker buddies. They didn't arrest him. They didn't make him leave their apartment. They didn't move Ava to somewhere more safe. They just left Mike there with the same woman that he had been beating for months, and he had been getting away with it. And he got away with it yet again. It was a whole four hours after the police had taken Ava's statement that the ambulance was called to their address. Ava was admitted to the local hospital for four broken ribs, a fractured jaw, a broken wrist, and severe internal bleeding in her abdominal area. When I answered the phone when it rang, my heart broke into a thousand pieces. It was Ava, and her voice was full of fear as she tried to talk through her tears. I told her not to worry that I would be on my way. I would be there in 10 minutes. I wasn't lying. I wasn't exaggerating. I didn't even so much as put a bra on. I slid my bedroom shoes on, grabbed my keys, and walked out of my door. I drove 90 and a 35 the entire way there, and I just prayed out loud that Ava would be okay. And I also hoped that if I got pulled over, that I'd get a sympathetic officer that hopefully wasn't one of Mike's friends. I pulled into the first parking space that I saw, and I hopped out of my car, barely shutting the door behind me. When I got to Ava's room, I had never seen anyone look so broken in my life. She was covered head to toe in black and blue and purple bruises with bandages around her wrist and waist. She looked more scared this morning that I walked into that hospital room than I'd ever seen her look, and I've seen Ava go through a lot. She looked more scared then, even more than she did the day before when I ran into her at the market. We hugged for what felt like hours, but somehow didn't seem long enough before she finally spilled the tea. She told me that the abuse had started just mere months after they'd gotten married and that she had called the police before. She didn't tell me because she didn't want me to miss classes or get behind on schooling on account of what she called her marital problems. She told me that every time she called the police before on Mike that Mike would beg her not to say anything and how he would promise that he would never hurt her again and by the time the officers arrived, she either felt guilty for calling them in the first place or was too scared to tell them anything. She told me that when they showed up unannounced that night before when I called to report what I had seen, that she finally thought that since someone else had called, that maybe this time would be different, that maybe she would be able to get away from him. Ava had actually assumed that it was a neighbor from her apartment building that had called because of the yelling and screaming and busted glass. She had no idea that it was me that called. 
But when Ava opened the door on the night that I made the call, the two officers that were standing in front of her were the same two men that Mike played poker with every Thursday night like clockwork. But she figured that it would be a missed opportunity if she didn't at least try to get away from him. Especially since she was under the impression that it had been a neighbor that had called to report what they had heard, and she hoped that they would help since she hadn't been the one to call this time. Going home to her parents' house had never been an option for obvious reasons. And she said that she knew that I wasn't allowed to have people live with me on campus in my dorm, but that she was also terrified that since Mike was the chief of police, that no one in the department would take her claim seriously. And as sad as it sounds, she was right. We talked for the next few hours, and we came up with a few different ways that she could get her things and get far enough away from Mike that he wouldn't be able to find her. It was all set. If plan A didn't work, we'd go to plan B. And if all else failed, plan C was the end-all be-all. Plan C would be the last resort, though. If we didn't have to use plan C, it would never be spoken about again out loud. We did the same thing that we had always done when we were promising each other to keep a secret from the rest of the world. We pinky promised and sealed it with a kiss. It may sound corny, but it was just kind of our thing. I kissed Ava's forehead as I walked out of her hospital room to grab us both a cup of coffee and maybe a sandwich from the cafeteria downstairs. I felt better knowing that the hospital security was standing right outside of her door when I left. And I had only been gone for 10 minutes at the very most. When I came back into the room from grabbing us lunch, I was in both shock and disgust when I saw Mike holding Ava's hand sitting on the side of her hospital bed. How the hell did you even get in here? I yelled not even caring who I pissed off or who heard me yelling. Mike turned and gazed at me with the most evil and empty eyes that I've ever seen on a human. And he kind of laughed a little, saying, Oh, the guard out there? That's my hunting buddy Jared's son. He let me in to check on my wife. And the way he put the emphasis on my made my spine tingle. I started yelling for someone to come in and get him out of Ava's room since he was the whole reason she was in the hospital bed to start with. But when the security guard came in, he told me that I'd have to keep my voice down or they'd have to ask me to leave. I was literally speechless. They were going to let Mike stay and make me leave for being too loud? What about beating your wife and thinking you can get away with it, I yelled. And with that, I was escorted out of the hospital room and made to leave the premises. Mike was still in the room with Ava alone, and I was completely shocked, shaken, and riddled with guilt for being the reason that Ava was there in the first place, and furthermore for leaving her side for a stupid cup of coffee. Ava's bruises had healed a little, and they were finally able to discharge her from the hospital. I stopped by her apartment one day when I knew that Mike would be pulling a 12-hour shift at work to be able to talk to Ava freely and we talked about plans A, B, and C again, but I never actually thought that she would leave him. She kind of seemed too scared to leave him. Ava really did think that he would kill her if she ever tried to leave him, and I believed her. Ava's phone rang mid-conversation, almost like Mike knew that we were talking about him and how to get Ava away from him. And, of course, when she answered... It was Mike, and I started to think that he may have actually been able to hear what we were saying. 
He immediately asked who was at the apartment, and Ava simply answered, Kelt stopped by to hang out for a few. I could hear his voice growing louder and louder with anger, even through the phone. I heard Ava say, Okay, I will. I know you are. Okay. Love you too. Bye. When she hung up the call, she looked at me and said, He wants me to get you to leave. He doesn't want me telling people our business outside of the home. We talked for a few more minutes, and I told her that I would leave just to keep the arguing to a minimum. We agreed to try to meet later that evening someplace down the road outside of their apartment. But later that evening, Ava texted me. And all the text said was, he knows. And my heart dropped. I wasn't sure what she may have been referring to. We had talked about so many different things earlier, but we tried to talk in code, saying things in a way that only me and Ava would be able to decipher. But I still had no way of knowing what he knew or even how he knew anything that was said. I had an idea, but I wasn't sure how well it would work. I used a phone number generating app that wasn't supposed to link back to me, my name, number, or anything about me. And I called Ava Sale. And Mike answered the phone, because of course he answered her phone. I put on my bravest, friendliest, not trying to sound like me, customer service voice. And I said, Hey there, this is Lacey with Piedmont Medical, and I was calling to speak to Ava about a few things that were missing from her chart. I was calling to see if I could speak with her, please. Why was he even answering her cell phone? I wondered. Mike made a low grunting noise, and he said, Yeah, she's right here. Ava's voice came over the speaker, and I kept my act up, just in case Mike was listening in. Hey there, Ava. This is Lacey with Piedmont Medical, and we just had a few things missing from your chart. We just need your emergency contact information. Ava then gave me my own name and number, as I've always been her emergency contact since she'd never really been close with her family. After typing a few random things into my computer so that Mike would hear the keystrokes being made, just in case for whatever reason, he may be still listening in on this call. I heard what sounded like the front door to Ava and Mike's apartment click shut, and she whispered into the phone. Plan C needs to happen now. I gotta go, though. Love you, Kelts. I'm so sorry for everything. And since it was obvious that she had been able to slip away from Mike for at least a few seconds, I told her not to be silly that she had nothing to apologize for. I also told her that I loved her so, so, so much before I heard the door open again and I heard Mike ask, is that still the lady from the hospital on the phone? Ava then spoke directly back into the phone, saying, Okay, thanks so much for calling. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you have a good day, too. Thank you. Before she hung up on me. As I pulled my phone away from my ear, I was racking my brain, and my heart was racing. I'd never actually thought that we would try to execute Plan C, and I had no idea how to make it happen for her. I was coming up with a blank every time. I figured I would sleep on it and try to figure it out, and then I realized that Ava's birthday was in three weeks, and I wanted to invite her to go horseback riding for the day, which we could both use a day of just nature and each other's company. It had been so long since we had gotten to speak freely and just laugh together. I decided that it would probably be more likely for me to be able to plan this trip if I went through Mike to plan it as a surprise for Ava, 
Mike was your typical knight in shining armor turned womanizing abusive asshole. So he liked the idea that he was control of her birthday plans too. So I swallowed my hatred for Mike and I made another call. Hello? Hey Mike, it's Kelts, I said in my friendliest voice, trying not to give away the fact that I had so much hatred built up in my normally friendly and accepting heart for this one man. Hey, Mike, I wanted to see if I could pull Ava away for the day on maybe the 12th. I know her birthday's the 13th, so I figured you'd probably have big plans for her then. So I figured I could take her horseback riding the day before her birthday, and I can pick her up and I'll drop her off as soon as we get back from the valley. He paused for a long few seconds before he let out a deep, breathy, yeah, I think she'd like that. And it seemed like I couldn't even help that my eyes were rolling so far back in my head that I could almost see behind me. He went on to say, I'll tell her that you're going to pick her up for brunch and you can surprise her with the news of going to Shelby's to ride for the day. Yeah, you two have fun. I said okay and I told him that I'd be there about 9.30 on the morning of the 12th to pick her up. We both swapped a short and unfriendly goodbye. I wasn't his biggest fan and I made sure that he knew it. But he also wasn't my biggest fan and he made sure that I knew it. We were on the same page with this one. I called Ava with no response for the next couple of weeks with no answer. And I texted, but I was still only getting short, choppy responses, like the kind of text that you would send to the creepy uncle that you don't really care to be around at Thanksgiving. I was sure that Ava was just avoiding me so that I wouldn't see her newest and freshest bruises and black eyes or fingerprints around her wrist and neck. So I let it go. I bided my time until the 12th rolled around. And finally, today was the day. A day of horseback riding in the fresh air, talking freely with my oldest and dearest friend, with no mic lingering in the background to monitor what we said. And I could not wait. I knew deep down that Ava could use a day free of mic too, even if she didn't want to say it out loud. I knew her better than anyone, and I knew that she needed a break from his constant control and unpredictable mood swings and anger. I pulled into Mike and Ava's apartment complex at about 9.23 and I blew the horn on my car. A few minutes later, I saw Ava come out of her apartment and then I saw Mike wave to me as he rolled his eyes and turned his back to me to kiss Ava on the forehead. He waved and he yelled, you two have fun and don't do anything I wouldn't do. I would never intentionally hurt her, you balding jackass. I thought to myself, but I didn't say it out loud. I didn't want to fight today. I got out of my car and I opened the trunk for Ava to throw her bag of clothes in. We had always taken an extra bag of clothes along with the other few things like deodorant, chapstick, lotions when we went horseback riding. We used to ride all the time at Shelby's Ranch, but after Ava married Mike, those long day rides got fewer and fewer, but we were going to make the most of today. We pulled out of her complex and we were both smiling from ear to ear. We were eager to get our feet under that red clay and try a new riding trail that we had never gotten to ride on before. We always enjoyed riding on new trails. I don't know, there's something exciting about letting an animal lead you down a dirt path that you've never seen before. As we pulled out of the complex, we headed straight for the first Waffle House that we could find because, you know, there's nothing like greasy fried eggs and hash browns to get your stomach good and bloated before you go horseback riding. We ate, we talked, we laughed, and more importantly, we reminisced on things that we used to do together, before Mike, and before the abuse. We didn't talk about the abuse very openly, or very often, and we never had. And up until just the last month or so, 
I had only suspected the abuse to be happening. I didn't have proof. Until that afternoon that I ran into Ava at the market. It was almost like an unspoken rule that we had made. That we both knew it was happening and we both knew how dangerous it was. But yet, for whatever reason, we just never talked about it. But maybe we should have. And now as I look back on this particular day, I wish we would have talked about it more. I think I would have felt a lot better about how this trip ended. But we didn't, and there's not a thing in the world that I can do to change that now. What's done is done, and there's no going back. We got to the ranch, and we spoke to the horse trainer and owner, Shelby. She knew us from before when we were really young, and we would come here just as a way to get Ava away from her parents' house. Shelby would normally give riding lessons, and she'd normally charge by the hour for riding one of her horses through her trails, but she had never charged us. Not even once. Shelby's ranch was our sanctuary. It was our safe place, and it had been for years. It was almost like Shelby knew that we needed those horses more than she needed our measly $25 an hour. Today was no different. Shelby walked Storm over to me, refusing to take my money, and even though I wasn't a kid now and we both knew I could pay her, she still refused. Storm was the horse that I had always rode when we came to the ranch, and Shelby knew how much I loved him. Shelby patted his head and said, Okay, Storm, Kelsey's back and wants to ride her favorite horse around the ranch. She talked to the horses like they knew exactly what she was saying. Shelby's face went from smiling and petting Storm to looking at Ava with just sadness and grief. When she looked at Ava, she said, I'm sorry, Riley passed away a few months back, so I'm going to get you saddled up with a new horse I've been working with named Charlie. You're going to love her. I'm so sorry, Ava. I know how much Riley meant to you. Ava's face got red, and she tried to fight back the tears. Riley may have just been a horse to a lot of other customers, but Shelby knew that her horse Riley had gotten Ava through some of the darkest days in her life. Ava loved that horse, more than she loved most people. We all tried to muster a smile and act like this wasn't heartbreaking news to find out that Ava's favorite horse, Riley, had passed away, and that we hadn't been there in so long that we didn't even know about it. Shelby told us that she had posted about Riley's death on her social media accounts and that she had just assumed that we had both saw it and knew about it. I don't think Shelby realized that Ava wasn't allowed on social media anymore. Because, God forbid, Ava scroll through Instagram without Mike looking over her shoulder to see what she was doing. You know, because cooking videos and videos of people toying with police officers just break a marriage right up. Ugh. Anyways. Shelby turned and walked back towards the horse stalls, and when she walked back out of the stalls, she walked out with a beautiful brown and white horse strutting right behind her. She was gorgeous. As Shelby walked the horse towards Ava, she said, I really think you're going to enjoy Charlie. She's a sweetie. And she's got some of the same personality quirks that Riley had, even though there will never be another horse quite like Riley. She stammered through her words, trying not to tear up, because she knew if she lost it, then we'd all lose it. And today was going to be a happy day. We would grieve the loss of Riley later, but not today. Shelby helped us both get saddled up, and we threw our small lunch boxes over our shoulders and headed off for the valley. This was our happy place. It always had been, and it felt so good to trot along in the red dirt and feel the breeze blowing our hair back out of our faces. We were trying a new trail today that Shelby had just recently cleared, 
and we had planned to take our sweet time riding through every inch of it. Me and Ava made small talk as if we were strangers riding together, and I could feel a pit in the bottom of my stomach as we tried to feel the awkward silence. But after about a half hour or so of riding, we were back to our normal, happy, bubbly selves, and we were back to being unimaginably candid with each other about our thoughts, laughing about things that we had done on these trails of this ranch before, and we rode for a few hours together before I could feel my stomach screaming at me that it was lunchtime. I was starving, and I asked Ava if she wanted to stop. I could see just ahead where there was a clearing that looked like it overlooked a cliff where we could stop for lunch. Ava agreed, saying that she was starving too, and I hopped off of Storm, she hopped off of Charlie, and we mounted both of their ropes to a tree nearby the cliff where we had stopped but we made sure that they were far enough away that they couldn't reach the sides or fall. From the new trail of the clearing that we were standing at, we could see the trail that had always been our go-to trail when we were young. It was just across a small, narrow valley on the other side of where we were now. We both dusted off our old tattered blue jeans, clearing them of the red clay's unforgiving dust. Ava turned to me and said, I'm glad we got a chance to do this today. This is the best birthday gift you could have ever given me and 23 never felt so good. I laughed a little, but I knew exactly what she meant. Ava was essentially thanking me for being able to pull off an entire day trip without Mike lingering over her every move. I just nodded, and I pulled my small lunch bag from over my shoulder. Ava was petting both of the horses on the head and talking to them in the same voice that new mothers talk to their newborns in, saying things like, You're a good girl, aren't you? Yes, you are. You know you're just the prettiest girl on the whole ranch, don't you? Yes, you do. I rolled my eyes and I laughed out loud. Ava cut her eyes at me. I had always picked on her about the way that she spoke to animals like they could speak back, but I had always secretly loved that about her too. Ava already had half of her sandwich gone by the time that I walked over to where she was standing petting Charlie and Storm. She always ate so much more than everyone else I knew, and yet somehow she never gained a pound. Just one more thing I both adored and despised about her. I was sweating and the temperature was heating up outside. I pulled my jacket off and I tied it around my waist. I asked Ava how she wasn't dying in that sweater that she was wearing and she just looked at me so blankly and said, I haven't worn a short sleeve shirt in so long that it's not even funny. No, it's not funny, I said out loud, but I left it alone. Things had felt so normal with us that I had somehow managed to forget about her long sleeve shirts and caked on makeup throughout the course of the day. Things had just felt so normal today. Our normal. Ava walked over to the cliff and she looked down at the rocks and the debris. She let out a long breath before she said, It's kind of beautiful. In its own broken, destructive way. I stared down at the red clay and the huge rocks with their jagged edges and their deep crevices before I finally muttered, it really is. Ava took one more step as she peered over the edge of the cliff, and that's when the clay started to crack and crumble from under her feet. She grabbed for me, but her foot had slipped and her body just, her body just slid down the rocks and into the valley. I gasped, inhaling an entire bite of a semi-soggy ham sandwich. I coughed up the unchewed bite and I yelled through my coffin, Ava, Ava, can you hear me? Are you okay? but I couldn't even see her anymore, and I couldn't hear her respond. I pulled my phone out of my back pocket, and I dialed for Shelby. She knew these trails like the back of her hand, and she could be here on a four-wheeler in 15 minutes flat. 
Even though we had been trotting along this trail all day, we hadn't actually made it very far yet. I called over and over and over again, but every call to both Shelby's phone and the ranch went unanswered. I was both terrified and panicked. I called 911. I didn't know who else to call. The police made it to me in about 12 minutes, which wasn't a bad response time considering how far out on the ranch these trails actually are. They sent down four different men on climbing cables, and they never did see a sign of Ava. My heart was broken, and I couldn't seem to stop the stream of tears running down my face. After about an hour and a half of police and rescue personnel searching the cliff and all of its cracks and creases and holes, I finally swallowed all of my fears, and I called Mike's phone. When Mike answered the phone, he didn't waste a second before he started in. Where the hell are you two? I've been calling Ava for the last two hours. I I cut him off. Yeah, her phone's dead, so we left it in my car, but there's been an accident. Mike, you need to get down here. We're at Shelby's, like I told you, riding trails horseback. Ava fell on a newer trail that we've never ridden on before, and they've searched a few times, but they can't seem to find her. You need to get down here. It's, it's, it's an emergency. I tried to explain the situation to Mike over the phone, and Mike was more worried about playing 21 questions. He even had the nerve to ask me if Ava had taken her sweater off before she slipped and fell. All I could say was, no, Mike, she knew better, before I hung the phone up. I did not have time for his mind games right now. I was focused on Ava and how to find her. Mike showed up about an hour later and immediately started demanding that any professional rock climbers go down and see if they could find any trace of her right this second. The officers tried to explain that they had sent their most experienced climbers and discovery teams down into the caves, and anywhere that she may have landed, there was just nothing. Mike fought with a few of the different officers before they explained to us that we needed to accept the cold, hard truth. There's no way Ava would have survived that fall. The searches continued into the night, and my heart was growing more heavy with each hour that passed with no luck. Somehow I just knew that Ava was gone. I could feel that Ava was gone. Mike finally let his controlling nature go for a split few minutes while he fell to his knees and confessed to everyone how much he loved Ava and how we just had to find her, how he was so sorry for everything that he had done to her and everything that he had put her through. But I loved her too, and I wanted to find her too. Everyone was busy comforting Mike. They weren't worried about me. They didn't know what he had done to her or what he had put her through. So he came out of this looking like the world's best husband. Mike walked over to me and wrapped his arms around me through his tears. He said, Did she tell you that three pregnancy tests she had taken all came back positive? And with that short sentence, my heart dropped straight to my stomach. She hadn't even mentioned it. I wasn't even sure if horseback riding was safe for pregnant women to be doing. I turned to Mike with red cheeks and I asked when she had taken those tests. He wiped his tears from his face and he looked at me and he said, Three weeks or so ago. I guess it's hard to give someone else your good news when someone's always watching over your shoulder every text you make and every number you dial. No, she hadn't mentioned it to me, I said. I cleared my nose and throat from the tears. But I knew full well what was happening, and I just had to keep up my tears and grief for a little while longer, just until they announced that they didn't find Ava's body during the weeks of the recovery searches that they had already done. I stayed at that ranch from daylight till dark every day, for months, and we continued the search for my missing best friend. Mike finally stopped showing up about three weeks in, and he had became very preoccupied 
with some new floozy that he had taken up with in Ava's absence. There was finally a press conference held about 12 weeks after Ava fell off the side of that cliff, and it was announced that they had searched tirelessly for any remains and any sign of life, but that they hadn't found one single thing. And they weren't wrong. They had searched every inch of that ranch and every crease of those valleys that led off that cliff where Ava slipped and fell that day, and even places further from the spot where she had fallen from. They had searched everywhere. Well, they had searched almost all of the places anyways. I'll give it to them. They searched every known place that Ava may have been. I was standing outside of the same spot where Ava had slipped and fell on one of the last days of the search efforts when my phone rang. The caller ID said mom, so of course I had to answer it. Hello? I mumbled under my breath, trying not to be too loud. And when the voice on the other line came through, my heart completely stopped. It was a familiar voice, a female voice. And all she said was, Hey, Kelts, it's a girl, and I've decided that Kelsey is the perfect name for her. Thanks for everything. See you in a few months, just like we planned, okay? I love you, and sweet baby Kelsey, cannot wait to see you. The call ended as quickly as I'd answered it, and my tears had started making a lump form in the back of my throat again. It had worked. It had worked too good. Just like we planned. Ava was dead. And she would never be found. Because she was in Mexico, getting bigger with every passing month with her pregnant belly. And it sounded like she was loving every minute of it. Plan C had been a success. And it had almost worked too good. I had almost convinced myself that Ava was actually dead. We had agreed on the place of the file because we had found a hidden cave when we were about 10 or 11 that was very small and very dangerous, but it was a crawl space that ran all the way through and clear across to the other side of the ranch. Ava was strapped to a cable when she fell, and I had actually just helped to lower her to the perfect spot so that she could get in the exact same spot that we had found when we were kids, and the plan was for her to crawl slowly all the way to the other side of the ranch where someone that neither one of us knew would pick her up and take her to the airport with a completely new identity. Shelby had been completely oblivious to our whole plan and was now grieving the loss of a really good friend. But me and Ava both knew that there was only one way for our plan C to work. And that was if no one else knew. We both knew that this was the only way that it would work. And it was the only way to get her away from Mike for good. We made sure that Shelby's horses would be okay. And I made sure to wait until Ava had plenty of time to get to the airport. And I had made sure to wait until Ava had plenty of time to get to the airport. And on her flight under her new identity before I called to report the supposed fall. I gave her a few hours to get across to the other side of the ranch because... Since we were supposed to be there all day, it was really no rush. Shelby would never take unexperienced riders on a newly constructed expert trail, so we knew we wouldn't run into anyone else on this new trail. Ava and myself both knew that Mike would only be upset because he wouldn't have someone to control anymore, that he wouldn't actually be upset that he thought Ava was hurt or dead. And we were right. But we also knew that if Mike thought that there was even a small chance that Ava was still alive, that he would never stop looking for her and she would never be free. Mike had this new sleazy woman in Ava's bed just a few weeks after her supposed fall. Except she wasn't exactly a new woman. Ava had mentioned her to me when I stopped by to check in on her after she was discharged from the hospital. The news stations had picked up on Ava's case, and it made it drag out a little longer than me or Ava had planned or expected, but the news coverage was kind of a blessing. It kept her face out there, and it kept people looking for her. 
And if they were looking for Ava in the valleys of the ranch, that just meant they weren't looking for her in Mexico. Everyone was amazed that Ava had fallen and that they still hadn't been able to recover even a small piece of her body. They had only found a small ripped piece of the sweater that Ava had been wearing, the hair tie that she had used to pull her hair back before we stopped for lunch on the ride that day at the ranch. But I think the only reason they never found any more than this is because that's exactly the way we planned it. And also because I don't think that Shelby knew about the spot that Ava and I had found when we were kids. We had only ever used it so that Ava could hide from her stepdad. I don't think anyone else knew about the cave opening like that. It was way too small to be an actual cave, and if anyone did know about it, they likely assumed that a grown woman wouldn't be able to fit through the small cracks. Or maybe they didn't know that it led all the way across to the other side of the ranch. We're still not sure. It was the same crack in the rocks of the valley that Ava had used to escape her stepdad's physical abuse, and she figured it could save her one more time. You know, for old time's sake. And if not, hey, at least she had tried. So we both knew that Ava could make it through those small creases still. The stress of being married to Mike and being married at such an early age had made her lose so much weight that she was even smaller now than she had been back in high school. And she was that small without even trying. I hadn't known that Ava was pregnant when I originally hatched the plan to fake her death, but but we also didn't get to talk about this plan very openly either. The day that I stopped by after Ava was admitted to the hospital, I just happened to have a small notebook in my purse and Ava pulled it out to start writing on it. She wrote that she knew that Mike had those tiny creeper cameras set up in certain parts of their apartment, and in the spots in their apartment that didn't have these tiny creeper cameras... They did have small mics that were hooked up so that he could hear everything that was going on inside of their apartment for the places that he couldn't see visually. So all she had written down on this page was, I have to die to save my baby. By the way, you're going to be an auntie. The next question she wrote on the paper puzzled me, but like I said, we could almost read each other's minds. The next question she wrote was, Do you remember the spot in the cave that I hid the night when we were 11? I nodded my head. Of course I remembered. We had slept in that cave. More than once. She then wrote, Okay, that's plan C. I'm going to need you to plan a ride at Shelby's, and I'll fall at lunch, and we'll just hope from the best at there. I'll be in Mexico, and I'll set everything else up. I even kind of laughed out loud at this point because I thought that she was joking. But when I looked in her eyes, I could see the fear. And she feared for her life, and I knew that this was something that we both had to do. I would have to bury my best friend, and I would have to stand by knowing full well that we were burying her and that they would never find a body to bury so that she could live and so that this tiny baby growing inside of her could live. And that's when I realized that old saying, sometimes we do things we don't want for the people that we love. And that saying had never made more sense than it had right now. I'd never ask who helped Ava set up her new identity and who helped plan the flight under her new name, But if I had to guess, I'd say that it was probably the really handsome mailman that just so happened to move out of the country just a month or so after Ava died that day on the ranch. Ava would be a mom by the time that I made it to Mexico for my two-week vacation next year, and I hoped so badly that Ava would be happy in her new life and that she would find somebody to love her the way that she deserved to be loved. But we also knew that Ava would never be able to come home after she left for Mexico. 
Even though Mike was arrested on first-degree murder charges about eight months after Ava was buried, the new girlfriend that he had moved in right after Ava's death was found bloodied and beaten and in pieces inside of that same apartment where Mike and Ava had lived together while they were married. She had moved into the apartment with Mike shortly after Ava's funeral, which Mike didn't even bother to attend. Husband of the year, like I said. And apparently with his new girlfriend, he didn't even play the perfect gentleman game with her at all. Friends of his new girlfriend and family members alike testified at Mike's trial that there were signs of abuse that started just mere weeks before she moved in with him. Her body was found and cut into small pieces, and her body had been scattered sporadically inside of their apartment. Her autopsy showed bruises in different stages of healing, a few cracked ribs, but we weren't responsible for the cracked ribs or the bruises. Mike was charged and convicted of the first-degree murder charges, and his trial had just come to an end when my vacation time rolled around, and I was headed to Mexico for a two-week vacation alone. No one would have been able to guess that that's where I'd be going to meet up with Ava. Plan C had never looked as good as she did when I stepped onto that airport. I walked out to see Ava greet me with a toothy, smiley, drooling baby Kelsey, and Ava was going by Scarlet now. And I loved the new name. The new look, the new hair, and the mailman from our old apartment building was standing right behind the stroller with Ava. I mean Scarlet. I'll never get used to that. Scarlet had never looked healthier or happier than she did right now in this moment. Her new life seemed to fit her perfectly. We sat down and we started catching up on how life had been and how she liked living in Mexico, and she said she loved it. And while the mailman, Lance, put baby Kelsey to sleep upstairs, we finally got to talk openly about Plan C for just a few minutes. This was the first and only time that we'd ever talk about Plan C again. I brought up how good Ava looked when she met me at Mike and his new girlfriend's apartment that day, the day that we hatched the final part of Plan C. Ava caught a flight back to our home state under her new identity, and this would be the first and only time that Scarlett would ever enter the United States again. I opened the door to her old apartment where she and Mike used to live, and we both climbed into the hallway closet of the laundry room. We held each other's hands, and we helped each other to keep our breathing slow and steady. Then we waited. We waited for what seemed like forever before the door finally opened, and it was the same girlfriend that Mike thought that he had kept a secret when he and Ava were married. And as soon as she got close enough to the closet door, I swung it open, and Ava... Well, Ava had a lot of anger built up in her, and she just went into a mode straight out of a Stephen King novel. It only took about eight minutes to get the body pieces positioned perfectly. So perfect that there was no way in hell that Mike would get off on this murder charge. It was our most evil, genius plan by far. We left the apartment in pristine condition for the investigators that would show up to find every tiny, meticulous piece of evidence that they would need to say that Mike was the one that had just tore this poor woman into shreds. We were careful not to leave too much evidence and not to make it too easy to find. Just easy enough. Just enough that they wouldn't overlook the fact that their poker buddy and their drinking buddy or their chief of police had, in fact, brutally murdered a woman. As we sat outside on Ava's back patio, I told her, Mike begged and pleaded at his trial. He even cried, girl. I tried to recount what had happened to her at his trial, and she just gasped, and she's laughing, saying, there's no way. I told her. He told the judge and the jury that he wasn't capable of doing this to someone that he loved, and that he knew he had been a really shitty boyfriend and an even worse husband to you, 
but that murder just wasn't in him. I went on. Ava grabbed my hand as her new hubby, Lance, walked back downstairs and into the kitchen to pour himself a drink. She whispered, I burned everything involving Plan C, and I can never thank you enough. Lance walked back out on the patio with me and Ava when he looked at me and said, We both agreed after tonight we would never speak of Plan C again. I was kind of shaken. How did he even know about Plan C? I guess my look of confusion kind of gave me away because Ava looked at me and asked, Who do you think took me to the airport after my fall? And who do you think kept baby Kelsey when I met you in my old apartment? I guess I had never thought about it before. But she was happy, and baby Kelsey was happy and healthy, and Lance ended up being the best thing that ever happened to either one of them. He lifted his drink in the air and he said, Cheers to a successful and long overdue Plan C, you two. Our glasses clinked and we sat around talking about the past and our childhood, where we thought we'd be this time next year when I came to visit. I knew where I'd be this time next year to visit, but I wasn't so sure about where Lance would be. You know, three's a crowd and a secret really only works if there's two people, and it had always just been me and Ava. And as Ava's gaze met mine, she winked at me, almost if to say, Plan C, same time, same place, next year, see you then. That's how my mama murdered a podcast.